Hey everyone, I'm back with another ACPE accredited podcast that you can claim CE for listening to. I continue to partner with Free CE to provide my listeners with the opportunity to claim up to one hour of continuing education credit for select episodes. To earn credit for this episode, visit the link provided in the show description to earn the CE for listening. For existing Free CE members, this CE option is included with your membership. Free CE members can simply follow the link provided to take the post-test evaluation for the CE activity. Use the password that's provided in all caps to unlock the post-test to earn credit for this episode. But if you're not currently a Free CE member, I definitely suggest that you explore all the benefits of their unlimited membership on their website and earn CEs just for listening to a podcast. Functional pharmacy listeners can also save 15% off the purchase of an unlimited membership by entering the discount code PODCAST2023. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-2023 in all caps at the checkout or by clicking the following link in the description. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Functional Pharmacy Podcast and one that's uh, yet another one that's going to be uh, credible for a uh, credible for CE as well. So, if you listen to the last one, if you haven't, go check it out or after this one if you like. Although, but what it was was thyroid and non-thyroid tested markers for optimal thyroid metabolism. Uh, so it kind of was a deep dive into thyroid, really symptoms, what we're looking for, patient information, different types of testing strategies. Now, I also talked about Hashimoto's in it, um, and Hashimoto's thyroiditis is the autoimmune condition of hypothyroidism, and it's usually presentable or diagnosable with elevation of antibodies. Now, there's this thing, is, is it curable? Does it just stay in remission? I think the biggest clarity that I want to share with this, and it's probably the challenge with the um, current allopathic medical system is in conventional medicine, the allopathic medical system, <clears throat> the only way they really treat Hashimoto's is by increasing thyroid therapy and symptom management, which I want to share with you that it's, um, well, it could be adding, it could be making things worse. Um, if you go to the previous CE, um, and, and the way you take these, you can take them and then, you, you know, we'll bring you over to the website and then you can answer the questions uh, to get your CE to register there. <clears throat> Although, when speaking of Hashimoto's, looking at all the symptoms um, and everything that we're talking about and hypothyroidism, um, we talked about thyroid gradients and we talked about... Um, how the average person really doesn't start in a healthy thyroid, I should say, shouldn't start losing thyroid function till about the age of 50. But people are obviously being on thyroid medication and being diagnosed with hypothyroidism much earlier. And there's a lot of people who are um, just not getting diagnosed, and they should be. It's more of a subclinical or the practitioner hasn't been checking adequately. So when we talk about adequate testing of thyroid, um, you know, conventionally what's done is TSH and T4. Now, or free T4. 
Now, there's no way to an end. Hashimoto's disease is the number one cause for hypothyroidism. Um, so the fact that a patient comes in, right? And if you go back to it, I talk about one of the assessment tools is absolutely symptoms. Really important. Now, we don't treat off symptoms, right? But we use that as a diagnostic tool and to kind of, it's that call within. It's like, hey, look a little deeper because if we are only measuring a free T4, right? And a TSH, which a TSH can be an erroneous level due to adrenal stress and cortisol. And a free T4 is literally storage thyroid. It's not active thyroid. Then we really don't know. I mean, we can still have normal levels, but we haven't seen the T3, the free T3, which is the active thyroid. And even if we have saw that and we saw TSH and we saw free T4, and everything seemed normal, but the patient was still high on hypothyroid symptoms, and we haven't looked for antibodies, well, that's that's a disservice to the patient, especially now when, as I said, Hashimoto's is the number one reason for hypothyroidism. So in any complete thyroid panel, the very minimum should be a total T4, well, sometimes not always total T4, but I like to throw it in there, free T4, free T3, TSH, and thyroid antibodies. Now, in the last CE, we also talked about other complementary tests, such as vitamin D, uh, ferritin levels, um, adrenals and cortisol, <clears throat> other hormone testing, even gut testing, food testing, all things that can kind of key us in there. So <clears throat> I want to dial in a little more about Hashimoto's and treatments for Hashimoto's. Because as I said, conventional medicine basically just says, give them more levothyroxine. Now, in doing that, the body, and that's what with the thyroid gradients, and if you look back, if you go to functionalpharmacy.com, you'll see the blog post I have attached to it, and you'll see I gave an example of a thyroid gradient in there so you can see how it works. Now, within that thyroid gradient, um, you know, what we do is we line up the markers such as total T4, free T4, free T3 to see that there is a congruency. Um, the example I told you, we had a total T4 that was very high and a free T4 that was lower, which showed that the body was binding up that. So that was 100, I think it was 125 levothyroxine, which is hyperphysiologic for what the body naturally produces. On average, and we talked about this in the last CE, um, the thyroid will create about 100 micrograms of thyroxine, the T4, a day. And so if we have someone who supposedly still has an active thyroid, working thyroid, and we're giving them more than the 100, we're only chasing symptoms and treating symptoms, and we could be binding things up, meaning the body's seeing too much is there, so it's going to bind it up, and it's not going to meet it with as much free T4. All right. So. Two Hashimoto's. Hashimoto's disease, also known as autoimmune thyroiditis, is the number one cause of hypothyroidism. It's diagnosed by measuring antibodies. Um, in, a conventional in conventional practice, as I mentioned, it's to raise one's thyroid medication, um, although lifestyle interventions can help reduce the antibodies naturally, as well as some other strategies we're going to tell you. So we really need to implement lifestyle interventions, treatments, um, alternative treatments, things that can actually reduce antibodies. Hashimoto's will present often with acid reflux, so gut health, need to look at that. We can always give digestive enzymes with betaine or betaine itself. Oftentimes people are hypochlorhydric. 
Um, nutritional deficiencies, anemia, we see anemia a lot. This is why we measure ferritin levels. Um, and remember, iron's job is to take the active thyroid, the free T3, and deliver it to the nucleus of the cell. So if you have anemia, you've got low, and it's caused by Hashimoto's, so you're already attacking your own thyroid gland with antibodies, right? You're already blocking what thyroid hormone you have to get to the receptors. And you're iron deficient, so you don't have what you need to get the active thyroid to the nucleus of the cell. Also presents with adrenal insufficiency. Really important to assess the adrenal glands. And I'm not just saying treat them. I'm definitely saying treat them with lifestyle intervention measures like we all should do anyway. We can have that conversation of rest and repair, meditation, walk and stress relieving activities. Um, presents with gut dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of bad bacteria to good bacteria, intestinal gut uh, permeability, which is on the way to leaky gut where we get these little cracks in our intestinal lining and undigested food particles and proteins can drop into our bloodstream and then cause more of an autoimmune response. Inflammation, food sensitivities, like all this folks, hypoglycemia in addition to typical hypothyroid symptoms, which is that whole list that we talked about. If you go to the previous blog post that I had, where the CE will talk about those symptoms as well. So as you can see, Hashimoto's in itself is like this big bad thing, right? And it comes with all these other things, how we can treat the patient. So if you think about it, a patient's coming to you with all these other presentations, acid reflux, nutritional deficiencies, intestinal permeability, and we're not addressing them and we're only giving them more thyroid hormone, we're really not, we're kind of doing a disservice, aren't we? So, as I mentioned, what we want to do as far as testing, we certainly want to do a complete thyroid panel. Um, most importantly, free T3, free T4, total T4, TSH, and the antibodies. Um, physicians could also order other diagnostic techniques, including an ultrasound, identification of a goiter, aspiration with a needle, things like that. Um, so, let me actually talk about for a second, um, the antibodies, because I think that's really important to talk about. So with the antibodies, there's two primary antibodies that we test for. Um, it's thyroid peroxidase, which is an enzyme involved in the thyroid hormone production. Uh, the body produces these antibodies uh, that attack the thyroid gland in Hashimoto's. Now, when I see this elevated, I mean, and well, we'll go over the treatments, but I'll talk about some nuances. Um, then there's the thyroglobulin, which is a protein um, rich in tyrosine, right? And the previous CE, we talked about the role of how, how the body makes thyroid, and it uses tyrosine and iodine. So T4, one tyrosine molecule, four iodines. T3, cleave an iodine off. One tyrosine molecule, three iodines. So thyroglobulin is rich in tyrosine, and the residues of which bound to iodine become the building blocks of T3 and T4. If iodine levels are low, thyroglobulin accumulates, thus high levels indicate insufficient iodine for healthy thyroid function. So these are the antibodies you look for. I think it's really important. Um, another aside, I talked about that. You know, these antibodies are essentially attacking our thyroid gland. 
and it could break up the pockets of thyroid. So sometimes people will actually go temporarily hyperthyroid because you get like a dump of iodine or I thyroid into the bloodstream. Um, and that can often be misinterpreted as too much thyroid medication. Um, although chances are they probably are on too much thyroid medication. So really important with Hashimoto's, um, if we have elevated antibodies, what we're going to do for treatment, we're going to talk to people about diet, and we're going to be an anti-inflammatory diet, and we're going to go gluten and dairy-free. I really like the AIP, and I'll recommend people to go to the autoimmune um, protocol diet. I think that's a good one. But if the biggest thing, if they can take gluten and dairy out, awesome. Now, um, gluten is the biggest one, and it's important, and I've seen that alone reduce people's antibodies. Um, another option would be uh, Wobenzyme, which is a systemic enzyme complex. Um, Pure Encapsulations actually has their own that I use as well called um, systemic enzyme complex. And with that, um, it is shown on an empty stomach, and you do want to take these enzymes in an empty stomach because if you take with food, the body's going to utilize them to digest the food and actually won't go into um, the systemic part of it. <clears throat> Although, the studies have shown five capsules three times a day on an empty stomach, it's a lot, can reduce antibodies themselves. Now, what I like, what we usually do in our practice, and with all these patients, what we're going to be doing, um, we're going to be giving them a thyroid supplement. Usually it's going to be a combination one or it's going to be individual ones, but we will put them on a little bit of iodine anywhere between uh, 160 and 225, maybe up to a milligram. We don't generally go really high iodine with our Hashimoto's patients, really with many, a lot of patients. Um, you know, if we start seeing uh, more systemic issues of health that could be related to iodine, then we'll go higher, uh, 12 and a half, 25 to 50. Otherwise, we just want to stay around one milligram or less when we're trying to feed the thyroid. We might do a supplement that has ashwagandha to it. Um, ashwagandha helps support the conversion of T4 to T3 if that's an issue, which often is in these cases because adrenals often are, right? Um, there'll be some iodine, some selenium. Selenium is very important. So we'll do two, 200 to 400 mics, no more than that, with any patient um, that is uh, Hashimoto's. Uh, and um, in addition to that, uh, supplements that would have zinc, 25 to 50 milligrams. Um, and that's kind of the target that we'll do. So there are a few combo products out there that we like that could be helpful to support people that way. Now, on top of that, um, we're going to go low dose naltrexone a lot of times. Um, oh, and remember, the uh, thyroglobulin is usually low for, um, or it's usually raised due to low iodine. So in those cases, you could work someone up. I would probably work them up a little higher. Um, I mean, I'd go probably the 225 mics, not the 160, up to a milligram, no problem. But low-dose naltrexone, let's talk about this. We have found this to be quite very effective um, for hypo or for Hashimoto's. And it's in the books. It's in the literature. Um, if you want to know more about it, you can go over to LDN Trust. They've got three great books so far. 
Um, and in addition, uh, they've got a great website that gives a lot of information. But low-dose naltrexone, as you all probably know, um, is naltrexone. Now, naltrexone being used for alcohol and um, like heroin addiction and stuff like that uh, because what it does is it blocks right? Those endorphins that drive blocks the receptors. So, uh, we basically don't get a high, you know, that we'd get from these other addictive substances. So what they found is at lower doses and it has to be made at a compounded pharmacy, um, usually starting at 1.5 milligrams, but it could be lower. Um, a patient will take one capsule one hour before bedtime for a week. Then they will take two capsules one hour before bedtime for a week, then three capsules. Now, when they get up to three capsules, that's their four and a half milligram dosage. Then they're going to stay on that dosage. So then we'll have the compounder make a four and a half milligram capsule. I have gone up to six milligrams. Um, I've seen other practitioners that have gone up to 12. Um, but I think six is the highest I've ever gone. Um, so then the patient will be in the 4.5 milligrams. Now, a couple things. Patients might start noticing weird dreams with it. Um, I've had a couple patients talk about stomach upset. Some people have difficulty sleeping. If that's the case, just have them take it around 6 p.m. at night. Now, why nighttime? Because it's nighttime that our body actually makes these endorphins that the production goes in. So when we can take a low dose naltrexone at a lower dose, it's enough to step on those, the reduce or block the production of the endorphins throughout the night. But then when we wake up in the morning, we get this flood of endorphins come through. And that supposedly is the immune modulation that happens. End result, coupled with the diet that's also, remember, gluten-free primarily and dairy-free would be great, um, will help reduce the antibodies. Now, um, we got the thyroid-based supplement. So that, that's an approach we often do, and I think it's very helpful, and it really helps people out. Now, um, usually within about three months, we see the patients feeling better. We will remeasure their labs within three months, and then we'll monitor, and we'll start to see that antibodies have gone down. Um, I don't think I've gotten people off medication sooner than – I mean, I haven't seen – antibodies. No, I have. Within three months, I've seen antibodies go all the way down, but it's usually this six to nine month deal where they're budging and then maybe a year that they're completely down and then we can really work. Then we still measure thyroid levels, right? Because their blood levels tend to go up. So then we also at the same time will start reducing dosage of thyroid. Um, in addition, please remember gut stuff. You want to have them on a digestive enzyme, some probiotics. I would test. You could do a you could do a gut test, but in the very minimum, um, an enzyme with betaine hydrochloric acid or that by itself. You don't give that if they have an ulcer, though. Um, probiotics would be very helpful if you feel there's really high gut symptoms, um, really testing for leaky gut could probably be a big service for them. And if that's the case, so probiotics, you're going to want to go about 20 to 50 billion units. Um, but if they got some gut integrity issues, a combination product that's got like glutamine to it, um, zinc carnosine, slipperium, marshmallow, things like that can be super helpful. Um, I talked about the systemic enzymes. So it's usually either systemic enzymes or low-dose naltrexone. Now, as far as adrenals and what we do with the adrenals, um, 
it's great to measure to see where their cortisol levels are so we can help adjust them, balance them out for the patient, but also provide adaptogens that support the HPA access and healthy cortisol as well because um, that affects thyroid production. So things like ashwagandha, ginseng, rhodiola, cordyceps. Sometimes adrenoglandulas will be added. There's two schools of thoughts. There's some people that believe that they won't do like anything like an armor thyroid or any type of glandular feeling the body could react to it since it's coming from a different animal. Um, but we do it quite effectively. We'll do the adrenoglandular. I'll do it if free cortisol is low or there's points of the day that we need to extend. Like say, for instance, when people get like a really big drop in the afternoon, oftentimes I'll have them do their adrenoglandular about an hour or two before the drop. Um, magnesium, two to 400 milligrams a day, basically divided and just of it at bedtime for sure, because it'll help with relaxation qualities. And then a B-complex is something that we'll give as well. So, you know, there's another way to kind of bring all this together, um, look at the body, assess the needs, and dial things in that way. So with Hashimoto's, we've got um, a few different options, as you can see. Oh, and I should probably also say um, stress management is really important. It's just not about nutrition, just like the gut's not just about diet. Um, so let's just say a quick thing about stress management. So we're either in fight or flight or rest and digest, right? So when we're in chronic stress, when we're in chronic fight or flight, the body is uh, basically is not allowing itself to rest and digest. So if you can think about it, how were we designed? How were our genes designed on this fight or flight paradigm? Pretend, I mean, just kind of take yourself back to hunter-gatherer days. You know, we've got the same genetic blueprint we had 160,000 years ago. So if you can imagine yourself kind of walking in the Serengeti, maybe um, foraging for some nuts and seeds, Maybe looking for an animal to get a hunt, maybe to um, get some vegetables, but suddenly you become the hunted, right? The, the animal sees you. So there's one of two things you can do. You can fight, stand up to it, or you can flight, or you can you know run away, or you can freeze, basically, and drop on the ground. And these are the three phases of um, adrenal fatigue that people see. So the fight and flight, but, you know, when adrenals are trashed, it eventually gets into freeze. Now, you know, people become polarized. So when we measure this, we measure this through cortisol levels. And um, we like to follow the normal pattern the body should have while measuring free cortisol and optimally metabolize cortisol as well, because that will give us some further insight. We'll also want to measure DHEA and DHEA sulfate. Very important to measure the sulfate. Um, now, on top of that, uh, hormonal profile being estrogens, testosterone, and progesterone. But when we talk about stress management, right, so we're in fight or flight all the time. When we're in fight or flight, we're not in rest and digest. So what we do is we don't give our digestive tract what it needs as far as enzymes. Uh, we start to kill the good bacteria, and then that can be thrown upside down. So... This should be for all your patients. Talk about managed stress because we are in a very stressful lifestyle, stressful society, right? So um, things like meditation, uh, breathing exercises. You can have some movement exercises like yoga and tai chi. Um, 
Prayer is a form of stress management. Um, avoid being sedentary for too long. Don't sit down for longer than 30 to 60 minutes at a time. Um, if you've got a desk job, primarily stand up, move around, maybe do some squats, put your hands in the air, just take up space and move a bit. Getting adequate sleep is critical, super important. So got to make sure we're sleeping right. Um, this is one thing I recommend people. I, I love this. Uh, and I got it from Jim Lahr and Tony Schwartz in their book, The Power of Engagement, Powerful Engagement. And they talk about ultradian rhythms. And these are these rhythms that go throughout the day. You know, we've got our circadian day to night, but we've got these mini ultradian rhythms throughout the day. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. And they basically fall into a pattern, a rhythm of um, we work strong and hard for maybe 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Then we take a break, rest and digest, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes. And that's actually how we work best. And that really works well for our stress system and our adrenal system. Um, and it's shown and it allows us to get more done in a day in less time and effort and have more energy at the end of the day. So I like to honor those as well. Other strategies, especially if someone is um, highly adrenally fatigued, would be the power of a nap. Very important. Um, allow yourself to wake up naturally, not with an alarm clock. Keep a schedule. Get to bed normal time. Wake up normal time. Um, what else? Um, I think it's, you know, when we measure adrenals um, and cortisol levels, it's not uncommon to see someone like really high when they wake up, like they're right out of the gates. So a lot of times in these cases, this is how I look at it, and I'll talk to them, it's like, how's best to utilize that energy? Because I don't want them to get into their mind. Because, think about this, we've got different brain waves. We've got our delta waves, which is that real deep sleep. We've got the theta, which is our dream state. Um, we've got alpha, which we usually wake up in. You know, alpha is that creative right brain focused, calm. Um, it's kind of the brain worrying when we get those big ahas or those fun ideas, those creative, right, stints. Um, but then there's beta, and beta is like multitasking in the middle of the day. Um, could be into worrying and stressing out. Beta is often where people will be in when they wake up in the middle of the night between two and four and they can't get back to sleep because their mind's racing. Um, for this, we recommend a few things. One, a little somatic experience. You take your hands, you put them on your heart, and you just breathe deep. You tell yourself you're safe and you're loved. That works. Another thing is nutraceuticals. Um, GABA and L-theanine, they're inhibitory neurotransmitters. L-theanine is an amino acid. Um, but what they do is they help promote alpha waves, and they help calm down the beta waves. Uh, and also lower cortisol, so that could be quite helpful as well. Um, morning time, so when people, if they do have that, so I usually talk to people about a morning ritual, um, something that's consistent, something that you give to yourself. It could be journaling. It could be breathing exercises. Um, but as I was saying, I don't want them to get into work mode right away. If they wake up and they're really amped and they feel they need to get energy out, then healthy exercise is a fine way to go. Um, that's not a problem. So um, so kind of coming to the end of this podcast, uh, and what I really wanted to for you to take home here is one, Hashimoto's 
is treatable. We can reduce those antibodies. Um, two, it seems in conventional medicine, the primary way is just to add more thyroid medicine, which we don't want to do. Um, three, we've got options to treat. We can do things like low-dose naltrexone, systemic enzymes, uh, dietary changes, stress management, um, support whole body inflammation, support the gut health, support the adrenals, have our patients sleep, support symptoms of the digestive tract, and, and explain to them this difference between fight and flight and rest and digest. So there you go, folks. Um, another CE. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it really goes well with the other one that I had that was before this one. So make sure you check that out and um, check back. We'll have another one coming shortly. Talk soon. Take care now.